0: This is part four in our final part of our series on the kingdom life. We have spent the past month looking at the Sermon on the Mount, seeing how we, um, who are a part of this kingdom, should conduct ourselves and what life in the kingdom actually looks like. So after today, we will have talked about four different aspects of kingdom life. We started out with the blessed life. Then we talked about the changed life. And then last week, The Mature Life. And that leads us up to this week where we're going to talk about The Good Life. Now, I really struggled naming this sermon. We are looking at Matthew chapter 7 today and going to be going through it. And it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's not a chapter that kind of lends itself to having this nice and neat overall theme that we could come up with. Jesus touches on just a couple more topics that he that he wants to, to hit before he closes up the sermon, and then a lot of chapter 7 is the conclusion of the sermon where he wraps things up and he leaves people with a choice. And so, like I said, chapter 7 doesn't necessarily lend itself to this overall theme, but I landed on the good life because I believe that every single one of us Wants to live a good life and we want to have a good life. And I also believe that if we live this way, not only what we talk about today in chapter 7, but if we live the kingdom life, what we've been talking about all month long, we will truly live a good life. But it all comes down to the meaning of good. Now, the title of this sermon's kind of a play on words. You can kind of already begin to see there's a couple different ways this could go. There are many different meanings for the word good. If you look on thesaurus.com, you will see about eight or ten different ways that this can be used as an adjective and even as a noun. There's different ways this word good can be, can mean. There's different meanings for it. It can describe something. An adjective is a word that describes a noun, right? A little bit of English class. I was awful in English. That's about all I know about an adjective. It describes another word. Um, It can describe something that's pleasant and fine. It can describe something that's adequate um, or useful. It can describe something that is kind. It can be used to describe something that is genuine or authentic. See, the word good can be used to describe a lot of different things. The way I use it today um, as the theme of Matthew 7 is is an adjective that means moral, or virtuous, or right. Uh, I also I almost actually named this sermon the moral life when I laid this sermon series out months ago. Not months ago, but last month before September, and I I, actually, if you look at the list today on top, it says the moral life because that's what I named it um, in the very beginning. See, there's a a right way to live, a virtuous way, a good way, and I think. That's what Jesus is getting out, not only here in chapter 7, but throughout the whole sermon on the mount. There's a right way to live, a moral way to live, a good way to live. Now, the world would tell us that there's no absolutes today. Um, Actually, the phrase that is used to describe this is moral relativism, if you've ever heard that. Phrase before. The world would tell you what's right and wrong for you is not necessarily right and wrong for anyone else. You see, it's all relative. There's no absolutes. Well, Jesus doesn't seem to care too much about relativism because he teaches that there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live. There is a good way to live. And if you choose to live this life, you will not only be living the good life, you will also have a good life. You kind of see what I did there? Like I said, it's a play on words. Um, now let's look at chapter 7 and see what it takes to live this good life. Starting in verses 1 through 2, it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus has already said a lot. We've covered a lot in the past month. And He's not done yet. He's still laying it on thick. He's coming to the end of the sermon, and He's still just hitting them hard. He's not done. This time, He's addressing the issue of judging others. Now, we must know and remember, there's actually two ways that we judge others. One is completely unacceptable. We should not do it. But the other is not. There is a way in which we actually should judge others, um, hold them accountable, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should help them and point out to things they may not see for themselves. And let me see if I can explain this difference. The acceptable way to judge, and it even... it. It just rubs us wrong to hear that, doesn't it? it, It's it's weird um, even saying that. The acceptable way to judge is to help someone out by evaluating or analyzing their life, to help them bring them back to a good place. The acceptable way is to help someone by by pointing out something in their life that is not right in a loving and gentle way. The unacceptable way of judging is simply by condemning them. You see, there is a way in which we can point out um, something that is off in someone's life to bring them back to a good place. But there's another way in which we, we point out something off in their life that condemns them and leaves them behind. You see the difference there? One is loving, one is not. In Jesus' day, there was a group of people who were good at condemning. They were called the Pharisees. They loved to point out people's faults. They loved to point out everything that people were doing wrong, not in a loving way, not in a way to help them, but in a way to condemn them. When Jesus is addressing this issue, he's not saying we cannot hold people accountable or point out something in their life to help them out. He's saying that we can't just simply condemn them to hell. Only God can do that. And so criticizing others and having this judgmental attitude or judgmental spirit does not characterize kingdom life. This is not a picture of living the good life. And the rationale behind this, Jesus says, is that by the the measure that we use will be used against us. The standard that we hold will be held against us, either by other people or maybe even by God himself. And so Jesus goes on to illustrate what this looks like. And it's a familiar story. Even people who aren't that familiar with the Bible know these words Why do you point out the speck or the piece of dust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the the plank or the log in your own eye? See, people know that because they have been judged and they don't like it. And So we must be careful in pointing out someone else's fault because there's a great chance there's something wrong in our life too. You see, we are all sinners. We are all messed up. So this doesn't mean that we can't help a brother or sister out if there's something in their eye so to speak it means we must first deal with the sin in our own life and repent and be right with God before we go to them. And this is an example of acceptable judging. Jesus tells us not to condemn. But he also tells us to deal with our own junk and our own issues so that we can help a brother and sister out. Look what he says in verse five. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be, be, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, he doesn't say don't help a brother or sister out. When we realize that we are a sinner and when we remember that Jesus died for our sins and we live a repentful life, we are better positioned to confront a brother or sister gently lovingly for them to be able to deal with the sin in their life. And it's not easy. None of this is easy. I struggle confronting people in their sin because I know the sin in my own life. I struggle confronting people in their sin. No, No one wants to be called out. No one wants to be confronted. People get defensive they confuse, they don't really understand this nuance of, of acceptable judging versus unacceptable judging. When we call someone out, they feel condemned, and so their walls go up, and they what, what starts out as, as maybe a small confrontation just escalates. You don't know me, right? That's what people say when they're being confronted or judged, right? You don't know me. see, it's difficult to confront someone. That's why it's important to have the right attitude and right motive behind it. We must deal with our own sin so that then we can help in a loving way. You see, we must have this deep desire for our brother and sister to be right with God. It's done out of love. And so it is good not to condemn but it is also good to confront lovingly jesus first deals with this uh, judgmental people and then he switches to talk about how how good God is. You can see, like I said, chapter 7 doesn't lend itself to this overall theme. Jesus switches gears here, and he, he goes from talking about being judgmental to how good God is. You see, it is it is a good, it is right to ask, to seek, and to knock. So first, don't be judgmental, but then he says, go to God and ask. God is good. He is generous. We just sang about you are a good, good father. He gives good gifts to his children. Look at Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. You see, it is okay. It is right for us to ask things of God. It is it is the right thing to do. It is good to go to God and ask Him for stuff. Um, and don't forget what Jesus taught earlier in the sermon. It's the same sermon. He taught His followers how to pray. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we, we can't forget that. Jesus doesn't repeat Himself here, but the, the, but He's already taught on this in the same sermon. And so what we ask for needs to align with God's will and what he wants for us. And so Jesus goes on to show just how good God is and how much he wants to give his children good things. He says, if your child comes to you, um, talking about his followers, talking about us, if your child comes to you and asks for bread, are you going to give him a rock? Or if your child comes to you and asks for a fish, are you going to give them a snake? I mean, if you're a prankster, you might do those kinds of things. But, but no, we, we want to give our children good things. And, and Jesus goes on to say, if then, even you, a sinner, even you who are messed up, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more is our good Father going to give? Look at, look at verse 11. He says, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now, does this mean that God is kind of like a genie in a lamp and we get to go rub it and ask for whatever we want? I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? Think about how messed up this world would be if that's how it worked. If you have raised children, you sometimes know the appropriate answer is no same is true for God. Some of you know this all too well. Some of you have experienced being disappointed because God didn't give you what you want. And what you asked for seemed to be very reasonable. What you asked for seemed to be right. What you asked for seemed like it should align with what God wants. But he didn't answer the way you wanted him to. Maybe it just seems like he's taking a long time. You've been praying the same prayer over and over again for years. My sister uh, called me this week. And she told me about a friend of hers. And my sister, she loves this friend very much. And for over 20 years, probably 25, she, my sister has been praying for this woman to come to know God, to accept Jesus. She's been witnessing and praying to this friend, like I said, for more than 20 years. A week ago, that friend called my sister and told her how she recently felt this urge to go to church. She's never felt this before, but something is stirring in her life and she feels drawn to God. And she goes on to tell my sister, you know, I still have that Bible you gave me. It's still in the box. For 20 years, the Bible sat in a box. And she began to get it out and study it, and to read it. And she says that her and her husband have been going to church. And at the end of the sermon, the minister stands up and he invites people to come to respond. And she says, I feel like I need to do something. I don't know what it is. She hasn't yet stepped forward. But over 20 years, my sister has been praying for this, and it's finally coming to fruition. It's amazing to see how 20, 25 years this prayer has been been prayed. And I don't know why God delays, and I don't know why sometimes He says no but I do know this. He knows better than I. He knows best. And we just have to put our faith in him. He wants to give us what we ask for. He loves to do that. So we just need to keep asking. Now, I didn't expect to get emotional. My parenting style is not the most conventional, to say the least. Some of you know this. You've been around me and my children. I love my daughters very much. I want what's best for them. I would do anything for them. And I I would say I have a decent relationship with them. Um, They may tell you otherwise. I I don't know. (laughs) Um, But they're not mistreated. Um, But I am hard sometimes. Uh, I'm probably hard most of the time. <laughs> um, Marla, my wife, is not. She's the softie. We balance each other out that way. Now, I know, and they know, if they want something, they need to go to their mother <laughs> instead of me. Alana knows this all too well. Alana's my youngest. She's 17. Um, she would <clears throat> get to the point to where she would come to me looking like she wanted something, but just not verbalizing it. And I could see it coming, so I would just ask, Alana, what do you want? And her response would be, you're just going to say no anyway. I'm not even going to ask. And she's probably right. So she would go to Marla and plead her case with her and uh, have a much better chance. Marla is a lot more godlike than I am. I've never denied that. Um, I do want to give my daughters the very best. But I know that there are parameters in that. I can see things that they can't see. And the same is true for God. God wants to give us his very best. And we just sometimes struggle to know what that looks like in our everyday life. We don't see what God sees. So it is good to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. You know, sometimes we might end up being like my daughter, Atlanta, where we we stop asking because, oh, he's just going to say no anyway. That's not true. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That is the good life, and God will respond. And so Jesus, he says, it is good to not judge, and it is good to ask and seek and knock. And so Jesus sums it up like this, and we know this verse all too well. Even people who don't know the Bible know this verse. Matthew 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. That's what we call uh, the golden rule. right? That's what people know. Um, This simple rule embraces not only everything that's taught in the Sermon on the Mount, but all of the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets. So let's play this out a bit. Think of of something, of some time when your actions toward someone else may not have been what you wanted them to do. To you Maybe you re- reacted poorly to your spouse or to your children. Maybe you manipulated a situation at work where someone else looked bad and elevated you instead. Maybe you uh, broke a promise or betrayed someone. Think through your actions. Maybe you were judgmental towards someone. You, You know the way they're living and it makes you sick and you felt like it was your place to point that out and to condemn them. Think about how you treat others. Take a moment and just think about that right now. How you treat those people in your life. Now, ask yourself, is this how you would want them to treat you? I'm sure we can all think of a time or two where we failed miserably at this. You see, the good life is living in such a way that we treat others how we would want them to treat us. So the next time before you react in your situation, think about what they, what you would want them to do to you. Uh, I recently watched a documentary on Hulu. This documentary was on this. This guy's life who um, was extremely famous and popular about 20 years ago. And then all of a sudden, he kind of just fell off the face of the earth and was unknown. But he was trying to, to make a resurgence. And so he hired this filmmaker to come and follow him as he begins to try to make it again. And this, this filmmaker is making this documentary about this. It. And and a few months into this filming, they show up to to film, and all of a sudden there's another film crew there um, filming a documentary. And so the first guy's like, what is going on? And so he goes and he asks, he's like, what's this other film crew? And the guy said, well, I hired them to film a documentary about me. <laughs> and the guy's like, well, I thought that's what I was doing. <laughs> and so it was really awkward, and the film went on. And uh, about a month later, they're at another event and filming this guy's life, and a third camera crew shows up, and he's like, well, what is going on? Well, this guy was making a documentary about this guy's life, and so now there's three documentaries being filmed about this this, this man's life. Well, the, the first film maker was really upset and frustrated, as any of us would be, and um, he does some research, and he found out there was actually a fourth documentary being made about this man's life. And so he was frustrated, and it leads to a confrontation. And and so he's like, why are you doing this to me? And it, it turned ugly, and filming stopped, and all communication stopped. And so this filmmaker just is lost. He doesn't know what to do. He, it's a bust. And so he decides to call his father. That's what all of us would like to do, right? When we're stuck, we like to call our father and ask for advice. And that's what he does. And his father says this. He says, how can you finish your film in a way that would make that guy extremely happy? And that's not what the filmmaker wanted to hear. He wanted, like, how could he seek revenge? How could he do this? And the film would become more about him and his frustration. And the answer was, no. How can you finish your film and make him happy? And so the filmmaker decides to take his father's advice, and he goes to great lengths to do this, and he finishes the film, and the guy is extremely happy about how it ends. and this is a perfect example of the golden rule, of treating someone how you would want to be treated. When, when we would want to maybe... Change things and get revenge or, or make uh, the story more about us. How would the other person, how would we want the other person to treat us? That's the golden rule. It is good to live life this way. It is good to treat others the way we would want to be treated. That's what kingdom life looks like now. Jesus begins now in chapter 7 to, to wrap things up. He's coming to the conclusion of a sermon. And so if he's coming to the conclusion of the sermon, we're coming to the conclusion of the sermon, we're coming to the conclusion of our series. And he ends, just like every good sermon, he ends with a response, actually a choice. They have two options. One is good and one is not. And he gives three examples of this. They have a choice. And it's a choice that we are faced with today. The first example that Jesus gives is the narrow road and the wide road. And then he talks about the good fruit and the bad fruit. And then he talks about the wise builder and the foolish builder. Now, I'm just going to tell you which is good and which is bad in all of these. I'm sure you can figure it out, but I don't want anybody to miss it. The narrow road is good. The wide road is bad. Okay, The good fruit, I mean, it's in the Word, right? Good fruit is good, bad fruit is bad. The wise builder, good, foolish builder, bad. Now, it's not just the option is good and bad and life goes on. Actually, the option, the choice has eternal consequences. If you read Matthew 7 for yourself, you will see the wide road leads to destruction. That's a picture of eternal punishment. The bad fruit is cut down and burned and destroyed. Eternal punishment. The foolish builder, his life falls and crumbles to a crash. Again, a picture of eternal punishment. But the opposite is true. The narrow road, it leads to life. The good fruit is preserved. The wise builder, his life stands firm on a a solid foundation. You see, it's eternal life. And so that's the choice that we're faced with. And if this is true, if this really is the choice that we have, then we must ask, well, how do I choose the narrow road? How do I choose to be good fruit? How do I choose to be the wise builder? Well, Jesus tells us. He describes what this looks like, especially in the wise and the foolish builders. But the same principle applies to the narrow and wide path as well as the good and bad fruit. In Matthew 7, 24, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That same thing could be said about the narrow gate. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will walk the narrow path and leads to the narrow gate. Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like good fruit. And he goes on to say in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same is true. It could be said about the wide road and the bad fruit. You see, it's not just hearing what Jesus is saying here. It's putting them into practice. It's actually living them out. That's how you choose the good life. And that brings us to our takeaway today. You see, the good life is not achieved at the expense of others. The good life is achieved by treating others well and choosing to obey the teachings of Jesus. That truly is the good life. And I promise you, if you do that, if you treat others well and you obey the commands of Jesus, you will live a good life. Let's stand.